On episode 224, I'm interviewing Michael Yaksik, the director of customer strategy at Cruise. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Clearworks. So we have a couple of sponsors on our show. I just want to underscore how much I appreciate those of you who have sponsored the Happy Market Research podcast. It makes a ton of value to the ecosystem that is actually transcending market research right now. I say transcending, that's probably the wrong framework, but exceeding, moving beyond into user experience research, as well as uh, data analytics and insights. Uh, Clearworks, thank you so much for your sponsorship. For those of you that don't know, they are an insights and innovation and customer experience company. They help their clients understand their customers better, identify opportunities for innovation, and create product, services, and experience that actually matter. Their clients are diverse both in size and industry, probably like all of ours, but they do share one important thing, which is is a passion to drive more business by driving more meaningful human connections. You can find them online at www.clearworks.net. Again, it's www.clearworks.net, and again, Thank you so much for your time. Hi, I'm Jamin Brazil, and you're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. My guest today is Michael Yaksik, Director of Customer Strategy at Cruise. Headquartered in San Francisco, Cruise is a self-driving technology company that will offer a ride hailing service initially in San Francisco. Prior to joining Cruise, Michael has worked in insights at Hyundai, Brand IQ, Cadillac, and Honda. Michael, thanks for being on the Happy Market Research Podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about how you wound up in research. <laughs> well, I feel like it's uh, it's pretty, at least from all the people I've ever spoken to, it's pretty common to say it's not something you set out to do from the get-go. I, I mean, how many people have said yes that you might have asked this question one. to in the past. So I've done a hundred, over 100, <laughs> 140 interviews, and I've had, I believe, one, I might be mistaken, but I really think it's one person that said intentionally they set out in college to be in market research or uh, consumer insights. Yeah, I feel like that's a more recent phenomenon. I mean, my, I mean, growing up, my career aspirations went from wanting to be like a marine biologist at SeaWorld and, and all those things that come with that. And, uh, right all the way to like wanting to go into finance and then eventually discovering sociology in school, which kind of led me down this pathway. And I think it, it's, I guess that's a normal discipline that might lead people down this pathway. But I mean, to me, ultimately in the end, I think people are really drawn to what they're passionate about because it's something they've gone through or something they've experienced or even where they come from. And I think that where you come from piece is really strong for me. Especially growing up, I grew up outside uh, Youngstown, Ohio, if you might know where that's at. It's a pretty blue-collar part of the country where uh, people, I I guess the best way to describe it is that people have really been left behind economically there for quite a number of years. And so really what was important was kind of family and community and even your neighborhood because that's where your support and your encouragement and everything came from. And so because of that, you really took on a type of responsibility even as a kid to look out for everybody. And so I think like thinking about this question and thinking through this question a little bit more, that to me, at least on a deeper level, it's kind of like, I think led me towards this career pathway to be more inclined to think about other people's points of views or needs or, you know, what's really motivating them or what's going to help make their lives better. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. It, it you know, it's you have the majority of the population in the U.S. that lives on the coasts, and and it and it's it's interesting. You know, I come from Fresno or central Central California, which is a similar sort of a demographic profile. Um, but then, you know, especially in context of being in California, you wouldn't think of Fresno necessarily being uh, some of the poorest, one of the poorest zip codes in America. Uh, but it, it definitely creates a level of empathy that, if harnessed correctly, can help you um, want to understand consumers and just people in general, mm-hmm. maybe even beyond just a consumption pattern, but, you know, and, and, and help identify where you can uh, add value in, in a true way to that, to people's lives. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The other thing that's interesting is this like sort of intellectual curiosity, I would say, is, is probably a, a theme I've seen among people that have entered into this space as it relates with human behavior. And it's, I think, you know, if you look now, you've got University of Massachusetts, they have a master's program focused on market research. Georgia does as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both of those colleges, incidentally, have a 100% job placement rate prior to graduation, which is, you know, un, unbelievable. So it just goes to show you that, uh, you know, while the C level or the, the, the executive level inside of the insight space now, uh, while, you know, we, we marketing research in, in UX, they didn't really have, that wasn't a known career path 15, 10, even 10 years ago. Whereas now it seems like it's becoming, it's, it's scaling up and becoming a much bigger part of the corporate ecosystem so people are being a little bit more intentional as it relates with um, uh, their area of focus and and career desire in a career. Yeah. And I mean, at least from my perspective, I mean, my team is called customer strategy, right? And that's, it's, we're not market research. And to me, that really represents kind of the evolution of the traditional market research function, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it is the next step. And when you think about it that way, I mean, you, you take a different perspective, right? You're, you're touching many functions like you would in research, but you're not only doing and executing research. You have big data involved, analytics, you know, some machine learning, even, you know, design research techniques, you know, but it goes beyond just the insights, just be beyond that piece of the execution to really try to drive customer centricity into the, like the heart and soul of, of the business. You know, all the way from like even the business activities to I would say the culture and the ethos that that people have that work there, right? And and that's a that's a big big pivot, a huge pivot. And, uh, it's a huge pivot at, at a you know at a corporate level. We're, we're, so there's two things that are interesting for me on on this front. One is you know you're talking about a shift in corporate behavior. This week I had I dropped the episode with Estrella Lopez Brea of um, a serial partnership between Nestle and G- General Mills. In, in that, she actually said, it's, this is the most exciting time to be in an insights function because for the first time, we are getting the red carpet rolled out to us from the boardroom, right? So, and, and she also referenced this, I think I can share, well, anyway, I might be, I'll be, might be able to share a, a slide with you of it, but the Watermark Report, and it did an analysis, has, it's a longitudinal study on the Fortune 500, uh, and it, it identifies changes in um, the laggards and the leaders inside of that inside of that ecosystem. The commonality, unambiguously, the commonality across the companies that are successful are customer centric, whereas the companies that are not, 
uh, are the laggards, the underperformers, uh, the anchors on the S&P. So, so mm-hmm. there's definitely a, it's just so factually based, right? As to if you don't have the customer in the center of your decisions, uh, then you are going to not succeed. But then the other side of this, of your point, which I think is really interesting, is this evolution of you know market research into strategy. And that's I've never heard in in my um, in these episodes so far somebody articulated exactly like that. But I think it's an important point uh, because you know I've been and I have been talking a lot about this point that it's about five to one in um, you know market researchers to UX uh, researchers or professionals. Uh, user experience is what I mean by that. So, mm-hmm. so in 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 the corporate ecosystem, you're seeing a lot of focus centered around and and the difference. There's a difference in the type of work that they do. Uh, basically, market researchers are more broadly capable. I put it like that. Um, whereas uh, the UX seems to be very centric to you know product. Um, and and you know slightly and and so they go much deeper and then they also go up and down the value chain farther with with respect to the insights and the decisions that are made but mm-hmm. um you know your point about this strategy is i think really on point which is to say that it is the evolution that are, or the next phase for where research you know is is moving inside of the decision tree mm-hmm. and to be here to become less functional at least yeah that's that's my opinion on it my perspective Hmm, that's interesting. All right. Well, um, so tell me a little bit about Cruise, if you don't, if you don't mind. You guys are a startup. I'm sure everything's confidential, and that's totally fine. I know you're headquartered in San Francisco. Of course, I reviewed reviewed the website. What drew you to in this uh, to this particular startup? Well, <laughs> well, it's it's I mean, it's extremely exciting. I mean, a lot of my background was in automotive, and so I was pretty familiar with this with space when I was at Cadillac. Um, you know, we had. Super Cruise technology there, which is semi-autonomous hands-free driving that the team that I was part of um, did some work around after the vehicle was launched to understand how people were using it um, and their you know, level of satisfaction and, and the like to help improve uh, the, the feature for the car itself. But to me, Cruise really represents kind of a little bit of what we were talking about in the beginning of the, of, of the podcast about, you know, why did I get into research? Why did I get into this pathway to begin with? Because um, as I mentioned, it was just a general point of view to, you know, better people and better people's lives and understand their perspective. And so there's that curiosity element, as you said, it's right. The research component the, the you know, searching for the answer or the insight. Right. But then there also is, um, what I like to call the softer component, right? Which is really that the, the brand and the company really has people at the center of it. And, and everything we're doing, you know, even as you read in, in the introduction is, you know, around making people's lives better. And it's a huge challenge and it's a huge, I mean, it's a huge opportunity as well, right? It, it It's something that will completely, you know, at scale or maybe even not at scale, change how we live. The nature of how we live, how fast, you know, deaths could be completely eliminated, right, as for example. So I see it as both, you know, both uh, uh, a win-win and both sides of the coin for me as to why I joined. And also because I really wanted to take on um, another opportunity to build a team. I mean, this is uh, the second time uh, I've gone about doing it. Uh, The first time at Cadillac was just with a smaller insights group within a larger, much larger organization. You know, this time around, it's just 
completely from the ground up in every way possible. I mean, every way possible. How exciting. I mean, that's just like, a, that's a perfect place to be able to sit. I mean, you're solving a, as a lifelong commuter, I mean, I'm in the Bay Area or LA weekly. So I'm, you know, today, actually after this, after this recording, I'm jumping into the car and going to San Francisco, ironically. But, you know, we're always in this state of spending, it feels like spending time traveling. Man, if, if, if that problem can get solved, that would be, talk about an improvement to overall life. And then the other part, gosh, being able to build something from the ground up in context of a team, that's, and a product for that matter, that's a, <laughs> that's an exciting opportunity. How do you go about, um, uh, I know there's a war on talent, I think is, is how people are casting it now in the Bay Area. How do you go about attracting people? Well, that's, <laughs> that's actually, that's actually um, a really good question. I mean, well, right now we have to hire a lot of people. So I believe by the end of the year, we're going to be doubling our organization going from, wow. I think around 1400 right now, we were 1200 when I joined in January. Uh, so it's going to be over, maybe over 2000. The vast majority of the people will be in engineering and data science, right? Because uh, <laughs> that's wow. the uh, bulk of the work. But I can say we do have one assistant manager position open on my team. If that's So... Um, Great. Well, you I mean, I tell you what, there, you know, if anybody listening is interested, they yeah, definitely can sure. reach out to me. <laughs> yeah, you can, to if website, you, yeah. Totally. And if you shoot me the uh, job description, I'll post it on LinkedIn. Yeah, but it's, um, yeah, definitely growing tremendously. And I mean, word of mouth is big. I mean, in the Bay Area, it is a war for talent, especially on the engineering side. But to me, I mean, I've hired um, two people on my team recently. We've been together for about three months now, all three of us. I think it really comes down to kind of the challenge that's presented and the opportunity to be building something that, that's this big from the ground up. I mean, working at Cruise and in this space is basically a, a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity because right. not many people get to literally lay the, at least from a, even from a customer strategy or research perspective, not many people get to say that they were at the birth of something, right? and mm -hmm. built the foundational knowledge before there was anything that could be built. And what I mean by that is not that research hasn't been conducted, you know, in the self-driving, you know, space at all. Of course, there's been research there, but there's a lot of kind of first evers that, that we're doing here, right? Because the specificity, the level of specificity and, and the commercial intent and drive behind everything we're doing as a team is is much more intense because you know it's actually a business right it's not necessarily just exploration and learning or extremely broad-based uh in its application so i think that that adds a new level to to everything yeah that so i got a um when the the tesla released the model three uh the low priced one i went ahead and, and traded in my gas or diesel guzzling truck and then purchased one. And it has completely changed my, and, and it's not like fully autonomous, right? But it has completely changed my life from, uh, with the respect to how the cruise control operates. It mm -hmm. took me, I want to say the better part of almost two months just to get a, acclimated to, or it was almost like a trust factor is how I'd put it, like a dating relationship in a lot of ways with the technology. <laughs> 
Just, and I mean, I mean that in all sincerity. Like it was a completely different. Like I don't, I don't trust you, Tesla. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> well, anyway, I mean, yeah, that, that right there is kind of one of the like the big, the biggest challenges, and even things that I'm really intent on understanding. Uh, overall, like the tr- tr- I mean, trust is a one way of, of of thinking about it, but understanding what will drive adoption for Cruise, right, or even for the technology without it becoming something of a long-term novelty to people, right? Right. That's a very, very essential question right now. And so, I mean, today, like, so for context, right, for context purposes for this, like today, people are mostly exposed, you know, to the idea of self-driving technology from kind of like sensationalized media, right? Totally. So crashes of Teslas and crashes of other cars, right? That's And so there's some awareness out there. There's some probability, but there's not really common understanding. There's definitely some skepticism. And and even the ways that benefits of the technology or what a, a service like Cruise would provide or even the forms that the technology could take haven't really been made tangible, I think, for people to understand or even relate to. And that is sort of, as, as I've, I've kind of put it before to some other colleagues, it's like, we're not only building a brand here, we're also at the forefront of building an entirely new category that just doesn't exist, right? And it, it, it takes a lot of work to do that. I actually think it's a lot like the horse and buggy versus the original automobile. I mean, it's when I say it's disruptive from a driving perspective, it's, it's that different. It's like a different sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, so that's exactly it. So, so what I'm thinking about on a deeper consumer level is how can we unlock uh, what we call tensions, right? And so that example that you gave is kind of a tension in transportation, right? A tension between something that's familiar, like riding in a car or even on a horse or whatever, and this technology or solution that comes along that disrupts it and makes you have to give up part of what makes that that experience familiar to you in the first place, right? Right. So that right there is sort of the challenge and what we're trying to do is really hone in on it and identify and begin working like today, right. On how we can even think about accelerating adoption when the cars are on the, I mean, the cars are on the road in San Francisco, but when people consumers are in the cars, right. Cause you know, marketing, uh, pricing, you know, product experience, all that stuff's going to have an impact. But I feel like, you know, as you're pointing out with the change that's of this magnitude overall, it, it, it still begs the question of, is there something else going on? Is there something we're not taking into consideration? Because the you know horse to automobile, you know that that's a good example of a similar thing happening. Mm-hmm. But that was so long ago, right? There's right. not much yeah. data on that, that right? We well, can't really it, go look back and come up with a KPI, you know. <laughs> no, that's true. It would be funny to do that though, <laughs> I think. Anyway, yeah. So you got, you're building a team. How do you go about finding new vendors and research partners? So honestly, um, the way I've, I've traditionally relied on word of mouth. That's been my biggest go-to um, for the most part. And, um, or, or if something um, piques my interest, you know, it, it's really the combination of those two, <laughs> right? It's like marketing, it's like right time, right place, right person, right? right? It's, all, it's all those things. But most of the time, I 
have been thinking about this a lot uh, quite uh, recently because I'm really focused on building the team's capabilities out. So right now, um, you know, tools, solutions, anything that goes beyond kind of survey platforms, because we do have a survey platform, we have two now that we can leverage in-house because agility is, is key for us, are really the things that I'm most interested in. Anything that kind of adds the value and, and can still push the envelope is, is also of interest too. But then, as I mentioned, you know, customer strategy, right? It's just not research. We're also, you know, leveraging analytics and, and doing a lot with uh, third-party data. I mean, something I've been looking for a lot has been behavioral data related to how people just move about cities, right? Hmm. You know, San Francisco, you know, all cities, major cities, right? So it's kind of like modes of transportation, who are the people themselves who do this, you name it. Because there's so much wealth of data out there to be tapped into. And it's, it's, it's an area that the opportunity that's unlocked by the technology is so great that you do have to cast the net broad as well. So trying to get at that behavioral piece, I think, is really, really essential. And that's, again, something that we would look at for a partner to, to help provide. Okay, that's actually a bunch of gold right there for our listeners. I'd imagine that LinkedIn is a pretty good way for people to be able to contact you if they feel like they have some value they could add. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely fine. I mean, I am, again, <laughs> we're, we're really taking on a, you know, a big challenge with a lot of unknowns. I mean, the research is, quote unquote, in concept because no one, no consumer is experiencing the technology right now. So, right. So capabilities and you know solutions that we can leverage quickly as a team or that would help speak to these challenges would be of very high interest to me. So in context of all the unknowns, what sort of tips, tricks, or methodologies, techniques, whatever, are you leveraging to understand the heart of the consumer? So, so I'll back that up a bit. So, to, so my team's only been together for about three months now. <laughs> um, so let's <laughs> give you a context, but we're, but we're small, but we're mighty. So we've actually conducted about six projects. Nice. Um, yeah. So it's, it's quite a bit. We're averaging about two a month, wow. um, which is actually pretty, I think pretty impressive. Um, yeah. so most of the work's been really focused around unpacking what drives the decisions people are making as it relates to kind of ordering a ride, right? The space we're going to go into and offer service to customers and also kind of unpacking benefits and barriers as it relates to building our brand and understanding how people think about the technology overall. So um, on a research front, I guess there's there's a lot of opportunities, as you can imagine. But there, there aren't really, I'd say, tips or tricks around like technique and method. I think anything we can do to get people as close as we can to the experience and what we're developing uh, it's really going to help us. And, and that's something that we're working on and trying to do because, you know, it's a lot of confidentiality involved, but we, we definitely want to do that. But I'd say like just, you know, being only here for a few months or less than a year now and just building up the capabilities and the team so quickly. Yeah. I probably could say that there, there's a couple of kind of tips or perspectives that have kind of emerged for me or kind of come up for me because I, again, this is my first foray into tech. And it's not just traditional tech, it's super emerging it's like tech, deep, right? It's yep. forefront, leading edge, right? So I think for anyone who's going into this space or applying for the job <laughs> to join the team, 
a couple things kind of have kind of stood out for me. One was um, I've learned that when you go into a new category, you have to really be humble about what you do and so, because you're just not going to know the answer, right? Or you're, you're not even going to be able to find the data or you're, you're going to, you're going to fail, you know, quite frankly, I, I, you know, because it's unknown territory and you have to be open and willing to doing that. And so I think it takes a level of, of humility, especially as a researcher, right? A lot of people really want to, you know, can I get the right answer? Can I really deliver, you know, the insight? Can I get there to really help move the needle? And in this space, um, you want to be prepared to, um, you know, not know. And sometimes you want to be prepared to go beyond the data because you won't be able to find the exact data that you need, right? It's, you know, not just the insight, but also the inference, right? It's, 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 that, extra, it's that extra piece. It's the consultative moment, right? I think focus is important. So being focused, uh, especially when you have to execute. <laughs> so, um, and what I mean by that is really like, I think what's successful for people in this space is that you have to be really purposeful on how you spend your time and resources, right? Uh, the way I've described it to people as being, uh, you know, you have to Marie Kondo everything and anything when possible, right? Because you can't take on every request there is. And I think this is a common thing for people, you know, in, in, in research and insights, right? You can't necessarily take on re re every request. You have to know when not to, because taking on everything that's coming from everywhere will get you absolutely nowhere, you know? Right. And the environment is extremely fast paced, right? So you have to, Marie Kondo, right? You have to remove the things or be willing to remove the things that are not, that are not going to help get you to the goal. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's part of the big, one of the big, biggest impediments that I've seen over the last 20 years is, you know, we've continued to see re, what I call research bloat because all these disparate stakeholders continue to weigh in and research just tries to accommodate, you know, these, these disparate objectives. And then ultimately you wind up watering down the research to the point where it's really not particularly useful, uh, at least, at least in the specificity of the original reason it was spawned. Right. Yeah. So I think, yeah. So I think that that's a really important point of uh, exercising the discipline around the research so that it maintains the focus and so that you're able to one, get it to field quick and get the answer quick and then iterate if, as you need to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we've, I mean, we've been very rigorous uh, on my team with this in that we line by line uh, align company objective, uh, departmental objective, research objective, you know, only one line. It's all got to be seamless all the way through before it gets green lighted because there, you know, it it's pretty much a race to the market, right? <laughs> it's a big right. technology and a lot of, you know, a lot of people are racing to get there. and you just, you have to be focused with it, right? You have to be focused. I think being open uh, is important and that goes with this. So, and what I mean by being open is don't get wedded to a project, right? Don't fall in love with the research. Right. Uh, and, and you definitely have to have the capability to either execute it quickly or, or change things on the fly. And if you're not, you know, if either one cannot be done, you, you just have to be open. You have to be ready for things to change on a dime because it, it's just it's just part of the nature of the pace and the development of the technology and the work that we're doing. 
And then the other thing I think is important, and this to me kind of comes from, I think it kind of comes from the experience of being in this territory and in tech and in San Francisco, is that I kind of encourage my team to also be hungry. Hmm. So always be thinking ahead, right, to help move everybody you work with forward, right? And so what I mean by that is, and this is sort of part of the customer strategy piece that we were talking about earlier, is how do you help maintain the momentum, right? How do you think ahead and anticipate what, what the team might need? So it's like anything you can do as a researcher, to me, that you can ensure that the customer's voice is brought into the decision-making process sooner than people ever would have expected it to be, I think is just a surprise and delight across the board. And, it, and everybody benefits from it. And that's not just planning and calendar, but I think it comes from this idea of, you know, having the passion and being hungry, right? And in, in, in what you want to do and what you want to achieve. Totally. So with respect to you sitting on the bleeding edge of, of, of innovation, how, what's your perspective of, over the next two to three years on AR, VR, voice, et cetera? How is that going to be mixed into the, mark, into the insights function? Huh. Well, there's probably a ton of ways. <laughs> um, I mean, like, if it lives up to the promise, right, with, uh, you know, the speed and the bandwidth, and I mean, it could be completely game changing for everything that's done on an executional level. I mean, uh, you know, the accuracy of the data, the volume of data you could collect is, is much, much more. There can be totally new solutions out there, I think. And even from the perspective of this is there's also tighter integration with the experience the customer actually has. And that's where this actually gets very exciting uh, for, you know, people who are, um, are brands that are actually going to leverage uh, AR, VR, voice, you know, and anything that's enabled through their technology or their offering with 5G. Because you'll have much more of a seamless connection to the customer mm -hmm. and you can create a new value proposition with them that will help you improve their lives and improve their experience while also, you know, providing you uh, with, with the information and the insight that you need. So I think that that's, that's one uh, area as well is that there's going to be that tighter integration, something like that. I don't think we've seen yet. Uh, we're getting there, but we haven't seen it. It's more like, I feel like it's much been more like a technology as a tool applied versus more of a seamless integration between the technology and the experience and the, and the data and the insights portion as well. Some other areas, I mean, I think we're going to get next generation kind of like creative and concept testing. I mean, if you think, you know, we're going to be able to act interactive questions, place people in situations. I mean, right now you put people with a big headset on and all that. I think there's just going to be much more capability as a result of the technology, especially when you're trying to understand or simulate different messages or or different um, interfaces or things that you want to provide during like an in-car experience or even like testing, you know, in CPG space, like shelf, you know, test and package testing. Yeah. Cause right now, I mean, right now it's all discrete choice tasks, right? We're are interviewing people, right? That's kind of what we're doing. We haven't really found, at least I haven't seen it a, a very uh, optimal kind of AR VR uh, experience that's been uh, created. Um, I'd say another spot was, I think qualitative is going to be, I think it seems like qualitative research just keeps getting better and better. <laughs> right. Or at least the benefit from technology, you know, keeps, it keeps, keeps landing on that side in terms of how I see things. So, I mean, right, live streaming, we'll be able to, 
you know, you'll have the bandwidth, you'll have the capability to do that. And, you know, interview people with tasks, you know, and, and I think even the AI and the machine learning aspects going to be even more exciting because right now, you know, we have chatbots, but they're pretty, I think they're going to be basic compared to what we're going to see. And even voice and leveraging the data that's collected qualitatively through voice, will, even conversations will be much more insightful. So that kind of lends and blends the idea of qualitative being part of the big data solution as well. That's uh, really other, interesting. Yeah. The, sorry, then, really quick, but the, but you're you're piggybacking on a a theme that I've been seeing, which is you know technology, AI, etc. Uh, NLP facial recognition is making qualitative uh, accessible and now being able to do it at scale, right? Because before mm-hmm. the analytics, the data collection was tough, but then the analytics was impossible. Uh, once you got past like 10 or 20 people mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden you can actually have the tools by which you can analyze and get to, you know, what all this disparate data actually is, is trying to bubble up as, as truth. So yeah, it's an interesting time for qualitative. I'm very bullish on, on it and its market share over the next five to 10 years. Yeah. And I think even imagery is a space that's interesting, you know, not just the voice, but, you know, you can think of it derived, right? What people put out on social, you know, how do, how do we think about that more and the opportunity that's provided just through maybe not, maybe more derived forms of insights versus kind of research forms, right? Also, I think the, the, our understanding of the customer journey is also going to get a real boost uh, from this technology, Right. So um, there should be much more, uh, much more of a wealth of location-based data, right? Uh, behavioral data in particular, I think, is the most exciting. Uh, so because the journey, I mean, every I feel like every time we talk about the customer journey, it's changing or it's being reframed or sometimes even overly complex or overwhelming sometimes. And I think that the the promise of the technology will help us be able to parse out, simplify, and kind of derive new meaning and insight from it and from what's actually going on. So I think that, that, that that's another piece that can really be unlocked. So when you, when you kind of pull back and you look over your career in cross automotive and innovation, what is the project that you're the most proud of? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I had to say um, it was actually quite recent. Uh, I finished it up before I had left Cadillac um, several months ago to co- to join Cruise. So during my time there, I led kind of a, a pretty long project where we uh, dove into the current state of loyalty for the brand and uh, even built a, a pretty robust model of loyalty drivers in the luxury automotive space to try to identify, you know, what specific levers from like a product perspective uh, a communications perspective, an incentives perspective, all these different le- levers we could we kind of rely on to, uh, you know, move the needle for us, right? And what made the project uh, so rewarding for me was, was of course, that piece of it was very rewarding, was, was that I had the opportunity in my role there because I wasn't just uh, senior manager insights, but also led strategic initiatives. And so within that project itself, I was able to spearhead the development and execution of an all-new marketing program. So uh, basically to drive loyalty. And so the result of the program actually led to incremental sales for the brand and generated some pretty good profit for the company overall. And so I think that that to me was 
that that tangible result and being part of it is is not the norm for everybody who's in in research or customer or a customer strategy related field at all. You don't often get to travel the whole pathway, and I tend to think we as professionals usually lead through influence and not execution for the most part, right? So that I think was a, a point of pride because it was you know all the way from insight generation and understanding and learning and working throughout the organization with various partners to actually get something that really struck a chord with consumers so much and um, really, you know, help the bottom line of the company overall. Yeah, that's funny. The uh, funny in that the biggest complaint that I hear among researchers is they feel a little bit coggish relative to the product life cycle um, as opposed to, you know, conception to all the way through to execution into the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So it, a lot of times you don't have the satisfaction of either the success or failure um, of, of the assertions that you made in the research phases. So you don't really, you almost in some ways feel like an outsider relative to the, you know, the, the larger engine that's driving the business mm-hmm. forward. Now that's probably a little bit biased towards um, the you know, the agency side of the business of the, in our world, right. As opposed to the internal researchers, but I still hear that from the internal researchers as well. So that's a, it's a, it's not surprising to me that that would be, you know, the satisfaction that we'd get, you'd get specifically would, you know, be connected to a project that had that sort of, you know, full market implication and execution point of view. Yeah, exactly. But, but also I think that's where and I'm going back to like the question is what is customer strategy? I think that's where the promise of the idea of customer strategy is the evolution of market research within organizations mm-hmm. uh, is, is, is kind of key, right? It's, it's about you going beyond it's, it's alleviating or even going beyond the idea of plugging into a type of process and being fully in, you know, being actually integrated and, and having the seat at the table in, in that partnership way to not be yeah. standardized, right? To, to really be there. So the not be standardized, and you mean by that, like cookie cutter? is? Yeah, I think, um, well, it, it's different for every category, right? It's different for every vertical. Um, but to not have that feeling, right? You know, as professionals, you don't want to ever feel like, you know, you're expendable or replaceable or anybody can come in and just be the cog, right? That, that right. helps turns, you know, you, you don't want that. You want that value, right? And so, I mean, even thinking about a functionality, <laughs> the dangers of AI and, you know, machine learning, right? Uh, and data processing is that, you know, you could see a future where some of the things that we do today are completely replaced, right? And so what is the value add? Well, that, str- that strategic portion of it, that integration into everything that shapes completely what the organization is around the customer, right? You're addressing the organization as, 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 as such, I think, um, plays into that. Yeah, that's okay. Cool. I like that a lot. Do you have a personal motto? <laughs> Actually, it was given to me by my partner going places. I don't know why he gave me that. <laughs> I think I know. <laughs> it sounds. It sounds like actually. It sounds like I have to like look it up. Is it? It's not Toyota's. Toyota's motto. I don't know. I've heard it. 
Oh, they're moving forward. Oh, let's go places. That's Toyota. Sorry. I had to yeah. like look that up there for a second. Yeah. I, I, you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny and ironic, right? <laughs> Being in like automotive transportation. Automotive. So long. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I like that a lot. That's actually really good. That's a nice kind of like, that is very much a li- nice life motto and it seems fitting for you. Oh, my guest today has been Michael Yaksik. Director of Consumer Strategy at Cruise. Thank you, Michael, for joining me on the Happy Market Research Podcast today. Thanks so much. Take care. Everyone else, if you would please take the time to like this show, share it with friends, colleagues, family members. As always, my mom's really proud when you leave a five-star review. So if you take time to do that, it'd make my Christmas time a little bit better too. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day. This episode is brought to you by ClearWorks. They are an inside innovation and customer experience company. They help their clients understand their customers better, identify opportunities for innovation, and create product services and experience that actually matter. Their clients are diverse both in size and industry. They do share one important thing, which is, which is a passion to drive more business by driving more meaningful human connections. You can find them online at www.clearworks.net. Again, it's www.clearworks.net. And again, thank you so much for your time.